It's time for Nordic on Tap. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. I believe that we need to foster a greater understanding of people different from us. In doing this, we learn more about what the other people struggle with, what their points of view are, their culture and traditions, and we learn more about ourselves. And I think the best way to understand folks different from us, especially from a different culture, is by singing with them, dancing with them, viewing and emulating their art, learning to speak their language, and eating their food. That's how I came to understand and embrace my Norwegian heritage. Now, my parents and grandparents didn't speak Norwegian. We didn't really have obvious Nordic traditions when I grew up, especially around food. So I didn't really have a basis from which to build what my heritage was about. However, I first learned about Nordic food (laughs) at weddings and funerals of relatives that my parents took me to. We also had a friend of my dad's who gave us a tin of these amazing curled cone cookies every Christmas, which I now know are called krumkake. So at weddings, I remember sampling the sweet almond kransikake or wreath cake. Occasionally there was lefse, the Norwegian tortilla, with butter, cinnamon, and sugar. If the event was around Christmas time, there was a large variety of cookies that appeared at these functions. So eventually I joined the Sons of Norway, took some cooking classes, learned about all kinds of Christmas cookies and open-faced sandwiches. But my big adventure was trying to cook out of Nordic cookbooks. And when I looked at these recipes and remembered those weddings and funerals I went to, I realized that food really does tell you a lot about culture. And it's not just about how it tastes, but how it's prepared what ingredients are available, what were traditionally used in maybe the country of origin, what people ate when they were poor, like flatbread, or what they ate in times of plenty, like maybe grumagrut, sour cream porridge. You learn about culture when you learn when a particular food is served, too, and in what season, and in what holidays. So I was thrilled to meet Christy Bissell from Omaha, Nebraska, who writes the True North Kitchen blog online. Her tagline says she offers simple, seasonal Nordic-inspired recipes for the home cook. So here's somebody who is not only a Nordic chef, but can create new recipes and inspire people like me how to cook and bake. And she does this by writing regular articles about food online, which that format, if you don't know, is called a blog. I got a chance to sit down with Christy when she visited Seattle's Swedish club to present tips on baking great Christmas cookies. More on that later. But I began 
by asking her about her life journey that led to becoming a chef and a food writer and a teacher of all of us in trying to embrace our culture through food. I guess I could start, I, you know, I went to college to study English and my whole intent was always to go to law school because I love to read and I was pretty good at arguing or so my parents told me. So <laughs> I went to law school and I practiced for about five or six years and I never loved it. I ended up actually switching to becoming a career counselor for law students for a while, nice. which was really fun and I loved working with students. That was great. And then I had kids and I decided, well, I'm going to stay home and raise them. So I did that for many years. And then on the other side of that, I mean, I had always had an interest in cooking. I've always been interested in baking and, and I always toyed with the idea of going back and going to cooking school, but it just never seemed like a good time. And then once they were old enough, I kind of toyed with the idea of going back to you know, doing some legal work. And then I thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and and go to cooking school. I've always wanted to do it, I'm gonna do it. So I started cooking school and I did that for probably about a year and a half and I studied baking primarily and you do both cooking and baking as part of the program but baking was sort of my emphasis. And was that in Omaha? That is in Omaha. Mm -hmm. They have a very nice culinary school there and it was a brand new facility, it was really great and I happened to break my wrist right in the middle of <laughs> one of my semesters and so that kind of cut me um, short on the schooling and at that time I kind of realized that I wanted to kind of go in a different direction I didn't necessarily want to work in the restaurant industry and I started kind of blogging because I had this time and I wasn't even necessarily blogging about food at first I was just blogging because I wanted to write and I wanted to put something out there mm -hmm. and that kind of evolved from a variety of different topics and then I started developing some recipes and just really loved it and I just kind of figured you know what I think this is I think this is where I want to go with this so I, I started a whole new blog you know and that's True North Kitchen and that was primarily you know all food so I kind of took the things that I had done for my previous blog that were food related and transferred them over and I spent a lot of time getting to know more about the food blogging industry mm. so that I could be more um, there's just so many pieces of it that are more than just putting a recipe out online and hoping people find it right. so that was a big challenge but it was a really big important part I think of getting me to where I am today is learning some of that behind the scenes technical part of of that that it would not necessarily be in my wheelhouse per se. So what for instance are are you how, how to set stuff up online? Okay. So I mean besides just sort of the basic setup of your blog itself there's certain there's certain like language that Google understands is a recipe, like a schema of code, I suppose, that is identified as a recipe. And the only way that Google can identify a recipe is if you're using a recipe plugin on your blog. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so at first I wasn't doing that. I didn't realize that that was an issue. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that was a change I had to make. And then I learned more about search engine optimization and making your posts and recipes you know more accessible so that google recognizes you as someone who knows what they're talking about and you start to appear in people's searches for recipes so just kind of learning that back-end stuff was it's super important and not always um, 
the most fun part of the job, but mm -hmm. important. And you pretty much found out how to do it yourself and did it yourself. I did. I had a lot of, there's a, a company called Food Blogger Pro that you can join as a member and sort of take classes as you need them. And that was really helpful to have oh, a helpful great. resource like that that I could um, rely on. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I know from my podcast, I haven't even finished launching my site, but I, I worry about that too. Yeah, it's... How to get the SEO figured out. And it's I, just, you know, and you kind of can't do it all at once. You have to work on things little by little or you just, it's overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's great. So you went back after you decided law school, well, after you had, had kids for a while. Yeah. Um, tell me a little about... You know, go, going back, I guess you were in your 40s or something mm -hmm. when you did that. How, how did that work? What, it, it was only a year, well, I'll say only a year and a half, but still, you know, how was that challenge with kids and husband? And well, I actually had gone through a divorce a couple of years before that, which it was kind of one of those moments in life where it was sort of a turning point for me anyway, because yeah. I was going through that change. My dad had just died of cancer, and so it was just one of those sort of situations where you think, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, life is short, mm -hmm. and now is the time. So I guess I kind of made the time and space for it because it just was really important for me to have something that was sort of my own thing, especially at that time. But I mean, it was definitely challenging, and... I had to kind of make arrangements for my girls to be, you know, with their dad if I wasn't going to be around. And some of the stuff was um, night school, so that was Ouch. probably a little easier because somebody was always around to watch them then at night. So, yeah, it kind of worked out, and it was kind of one of those things where if you have the will, there a way will appear. You know, I was like, well, I'm doing this, so someone, someone will watch them. We'll make it work. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. That's great. And they were, they were not, my, mine were old enough so we could sit down and study together. Yes, exactly. You know, that was yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, mine were definitely not so little that they were, yeah, they were probably, um, I suppose one would have been 14, maybe the other one was nine about, about yeah. the, those ages. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And so, yeah, did they, did they issue a, a degree of, of sorts? So I did not get a degree, but you can get like a certificate, which is sort of the lowest level, or you can get a full degree. Sure. And I kind of went through the classes that I wanted to do to sort of kind of cultivate the, the baking knowledge that I needed for what I really wanted to do. And at the time, I was really, really focused on bread baking and artisan bread baking, sourdough, that sort of thing. And I've taught courses in sourdough. That's another thing that I've done in the past. And for a while, I thought maybe I'd want to open my own bakery. So I was kind of, you know, at the time that I was going to school, that's kind of probably what I was thinking in my head. I was I was kind of working towards. But with having a law degree and everything, I didn't really feel the, you know, not having another degree wasn't a big deal to me. So just having the knowledge that I needed and kind of moving on was enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you, you got interested in baking earlier on, but, and of course that plays right into Scandinavian 
Christmas cookies and right? things of that nature. But I, I, I read in one of your interviews, it said, but it's not all about cookies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my famous lines, it's not all about cookies. And it's funny because the at the top of my website, it says, I um, use my culinary training to create um, fresh and modern Nordic-inspired recipes for the American home cook. And that's kind of um, sort of a guiding principle for me. And so you'll find a lot of things on my website that are more vegetable-based. There's you know, all sorts of colorful things that are more, I would consider, new Nordic for sort of the American kitchen. Right. And I love doing those. They're so much fun. They're super creative. and. They're just kind of something that you could eat, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. There's, you know, dishes for every season of the year. But as it turns out, the most popular recipes on the site are always the baking ones. Everyone loves them. And I, I have no, I love to do them too. I just right. kind of think that it's important to kind of have a balance of, of it, both yes. of those. Yeah. yeah. So there's, you know, like 11, 10 other months. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought, you know, when I first wanted to do this blog, I had um, gone to, have you ever been to FICA at the Swedish Institute? Yeah, I read that you were talking about that. Is yeah. in Minneapolis? Yep, it's in Minneapolis. And I was so inspired. I think we just went in the summer or something and so inspired by the menu and just all these really interesting things they were doing with Scandinavian ingredients. And it just got me thinking, well, what are they eating the other like 11 months of the year? Because in my house growing up, we only ate Scandinavian foods during December primarily. Yeah, yeah. So that's when the herring came out. That's when we made the lefse. That's when we ate the Swedish meatballs. And honest to God, we could pack a lot of Scandinavian food into like a four week period of time. But it did kind of start to seem like, well, that just seems silly. I'm sure there's a lot of other interesting things that they're doing the rest of the year. And that was another reason that kind of piqued my interest into that particular, you know, niche of a blog. Yeah, yeah. So what's with the seven kinds of Christmas cookies business? <laughs> Traditionally, that was sort of considered the standard for having a proper Christmas fika, is that you would have a certain number of cookies and if you didn't have that number of cookies really wasn't a legitimate cookie Christmas yeah. you know coffee party so that was sort of where it came from I think the different like which seven cookies are included kind of differs a little bit depending on who you talk to but yes that is where the, the idea came from I see and of course seven is a nice magic yes number. it is a nice magical number it's an <laughs> awful lot of cookies but you know i think back to my mom baking cookies back in you know when i was a kid and she would bake about probably seven maybe even more kinds of cookies and then we would freeze them and then she would have people over for coffee and she would serve a variety of cookies and i never really thought anything of it and then as I started doing more research, I realized, oh, there's a tradition here. And whether she's aware of it or not, right. that's something that's been sort of expected. You know, I'm with you. I, had, I remember going to my grandparents' house who were Norwegian, I mean, and, you know, second generation or something. But um, they always had coffee and cake. And I, I didn't drink the coffee, I did eat the cake. Mm -hmm. But then when I visited some relatives in Norway, it became very obvious. And they didn't even know you were coming. Boom, they had a cake. They had it there. Without <laughs> <laughs> fail. You know, it's such a, it's a really a wonderful civilized thing to have, I think, you know. And 
in this day and age when baking has somewhat, I don't know, I don't want to say it's falling out of favor because there's still plenty of people who want to bake, but sweets are a little bit, you know, maybe not as popular or, you know, people think, oh, I need to eat healthier. And I think, right. well, there's nothing wrong with a little slice of, co of cake and a cup of coffee in the afternoon. And I think that's a very healthy way to live. Yeah, I remember in a, in a Norwegian cookbook, I forgot who wrote it, she got to the page on Rumagret, mm. so she decided to do three or four pages on the history and stuff on it, and you saw where it was going, it was sort of going towards, this is a lot of calories, and it's heavy stuff, and she just decided to go right at the reader and say, now look, this was eaten back in the days when you spent all day <laughs> right. doing this and that outside and you know, tending the cows and so it, obviously it's got it's got calories in it but it was also a celebration yeah piece too exactly and so you know don't hammer on this because <laughs> right yeah and have a little dish of it at the holidays and enjoy it for what it is and right we're not asking you to eat it every day Right. So tell me a little about how you, how do you craft a recipe? How oh, that's a good question. experiment with that? So um, once I kind of get an idea of something that I want to make, I will gather three or four recipes from sort of some trusted sources that I like, and I will kind of look them over and try to combine them into my own version. So I might be using, you know, I like these ingredients from this one, but ooh, this is nice, I'm gonna add that. And then I'll kind of, you know, go through the different methods of baking and, you know, kind of choose my own. And, you know, hopefully, if I've done my research well, that will lead me to a point where maybe I need to test it two or three times. Every right. now and then something will come up and I will have to just drastically rewrite the whole <laughs> thing and start over. But um, I think I will attribute that careful research to my time as a lawyer. And I'm not the kind of person who's just gonna run into the kitchen and just start throwing things into a bowl. I'm gonna, I will do my research first and I will come up with a plan before I set out to go and do it. Yeah, and especially with baking, because baking is science. Yes. It's gonna be part of my talk tonight. Baking is science, it is not as much of a ooh, dash of this here, dash of that there. I mean, there are just certain principles and ratios that need to be followed in order for the baked goods to succeed. So, um, yeah, I will always have a plan before I go in there. So there's this mystery that, that I've encountered, I, and I have a science background, but I have noticed when I try to make, okay, I have a recipe for Kronzkaka, I have a recipe for, for something, Kronzkaka is a bad idea because you only make one at a time, but I decide I want a yield five times as much. Right. So I'll add five times as much, right? The ratios are the same, but it just doesn't turn out. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's a thing. What's with that? What's with that? <laughs> you know, a lot of it is just the volume of it and it changes the mixing process and mm -hmm. then that's not going to be, you know, the same thing. I think you can double and triple things without too much trouble, and for sure double, or half. But once you start getting past about that point, yeah, it kind of tends to break down. And I will, if I'm going to do that, I'll mix them in batches of, you know. See, there you go. Yeah, rather than trying to mix all it in all in one. one. Yeah. And then you kind of run out of thick bowls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's your commercial kitchen. That's a tough one. Yeah.
So that's interesting. So do you um, alter any of your recipes with, from, with feedback from, from people? Sometimes I do. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I, one of my, my more famous recipes is for Danish rugbrod, the Danish rye bread. Yes. And I did have some people who, um, it's almost like I'm kind of adding to the recipes based on their experience. So the recipe calls for a Pullman loaf pan, which is about a 13 by four inch kind of long bread pan, mm -hmm. and it has a lid on it. So when you bake the bread, it's a perfect square, and that's kind of traditional. But a lot of people don't want to go out and buy a special piece of equipment. So they would say, can I bake this in two loaf pans, just regular bread pans? Yeah. I'm like, well, maybe, probably, you know, if you try it, let me know. And I had several people write back to me and said, you know, this works great. And I suggested, you know, put a cookie sheet over the top as a lid for the portion where it's covered. And they said that worked great. So then when I kind of reworked that recipe, I made a point of saying, you can absolutely bake this in two loaf pans. And, mm. you know, just kind of adding to it with that feedback. That's great. Yeah, it's really great. It's like having a little team of recipe testers that <laughs> are working for you. <laughs> but what I'm also hearing too, and I, I was reading about the, the new Nordic type of cooking, and it's you know it's got all its rules and just so, mm -hmm. and it, a lot of things have that. And I don't know if I have this right, but what I took away from the Julia Child movies yes. uh, was <laughs> that she took this, this forbidding, you know, French cooking with all these rules and things you had to do and ingredients you absolutely had to have and seemed to translate them into something that the common, quote, homemaker could use. And I, I feel a little about that with what you were trying to do. Well, first of all, I'm just going to say thank you. And I'm just going to let that soak in because that's about the best thing you could ever say to anyone who is a cook because I so admire her work. And she didn't start her career until late in life. So I've always just thought of her as, a, yes. you know, sort of a, a mentor and a guide for me. But yes, I think that's a big deal because I think that keeping these dishes not intimidating is what it's all about in terms of getting people to actually get in the kitchen. Because people don't necessarily want to go seek out um, some particular type of seaweed or whatever it is that you would yeah. need to, to do some of these, like, I mean, that new Nordic cuisine is, is a wonderful, beautiful thing, but not necessarily accessible to the average home cook. So the more that that can, you know, you can kind of bridge that divide with easily defined ingredients or, like, a, a great example would be, I have a recipe for toast scoggin. So it's the, the shrimp sort of um, okay. creamy seafood sort of um, salad. And it sits on top of a little square of toasted bread. And then normally it would be topped with caviar. Okay. And I have mine. I said, you know, absolutely, if you would like to top it with caviar, go for it. Or I have this really great caper relish that brings that same kind of briny quality right. that would come from ca um, caviar but it's something you can get in the grocery store. And so someone doesn't have to think, oh great, now I don't have to go out and find caviar, I can make this tomorrow. So right. I, I love that and I, you know, in some respects, I, I like, like my version of things better. So. <laughs> well, that has got to play into your popularity. I mean, otherwise you're inaccessible and I know that's what's important. Yes, exactly. You know, accessibility is important. Very big deal to me. Yeah. yeah. I want the recipes to be made, not just looked at and read and, you know. Yeah, I mean, otherwise I have to 
call up my buddy at Scandinavian Specialties and either have him yes. mail something to me or have to go down and get, I don't know, his beluga caviar, but that would be the one place I can Yeah, think exactly. Of. And then there's nothing wrong with that. And if you right. want to go that extra mile, you know, absolutely, but you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still be authentic to, you know, whatever degree that you need to be. I, um, I wondered what, uh, if, in terms of the baking scene, mm -hmm. are there places in Omaha, let's start with Omaha, uh, bakeries in Omaha that you enjoy, whether or not they have any Scandinavian leanings? Um, what's your favorite there? Well, there I would say it's this uh, bakery called Le Portier, which is a French bakery, and That's they right. do really fabulous croissants and breads. Um, very traditional French. French bakery and they do do danishes that are very nice which I don't know if that really counts but they're <laughs> that would be as close to Scandinavian as it gets and quite honestly we don't have any Scandinavian bakeries in Omaha so whenever I'm looking for that inspiration um, you know I'm coming up or I'm going up to Minneapolis which is where I'm from and my mom is still there and we go to Fika quite a bit and they have a nice little bakery and um, I'm trying to think of what else we've been to up there. I mean, every day, I feel like there, I'm just kind of picking up inspiration from a lot of different places that just are dabbling a little bit with right. Scandinavian stuff. Right. Like, for example, I was in Stillwater, you know, the little town, that river town yeah. on the St. Croix. Yeah. And um, there is a great little cafe there. There was, they had a wonderful Swedish limpa bread, and then they were doing a limpa Reuben. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic, you know. So then I write that down and think, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make my own version of that for the blog. Yeah. So they were just using the the tasty Swedish limpa and then using that as sort of the base for a Reuben sandwich. And then there was a either a lingonberry sauce or it was lingonberry mayonnaise that was involved, but it sounded fantastic. And so I just love those little touches, like even if it's not a full-on cafe or bakery that's devoted to Scandinavian right. cooking or baking, there's always, you know, just when you're in somewhere where there's more Scandinavian influence, I feel like it's just interesting stuff. And here, oh my gosh, in the last couple of days, I can't tell you how many amazing things I've eaten. <laughs> have you been to the Inn Bakery down? Yes. You oh, have to. <laughs> so good. It was yeah. amazing. We had lunch there yesterday, and then we went to Scandinavian Specialties today and had some more bread. And just looking at their case of all of their delicious treats, it's just, yeah, inspiring. It's been so hard with the pandemic because the, in being the, the, the whole sit-down experience, at least you can sit outside. Yes. But that was such a, it's such a little mecca, mm. you know, for, for folks. Even yeah. just to go in and take your laptop and sit and listen. Right, I know. I miss those kinds of things. And I'm still not, like, I haven't done gone back to sort of the coffee shop just going there to work or anything. Right. But, yeah, I kind of miss that. Tell me a little about, um, so you teach, mm -hmm. you teach, um, you know, at the Vesterheim and maybe some in Oman? Um, not really. I've taught at the Danish American Museum, which is outside of Omaha. It's about okay. an hour outside. Okay. Um, that was actually my first class. I taught a small broad class for them. And I'll do various programming for like a Sons of Norway group, you know, right. anything like that on request. Um, but since the pandemic, the Vesterheim has really provided me with a great sort of 
online platform yeah. because they've been so accommodating and interested in um, pursuing that themselves that it's been just a godsend, you know, to have their um, expertise and their technological help through that whole thing because that's the intimidating piece of that. Like, it's really fun to do a, a class from your own kitchen. Right. But it's really great to have somebody at the Vesterheim who's in charge of, like, sort of making that all happen. Shooting it for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I would imagine it'd be hard to, to teach cooking sitting at your computer. Exactly. Doing Zoom or something. Right, and we do do the classes over Zoom, but I am—I have a camera that's sort of back away, so they have like the full view of me in my kitchen, and then I have another camera that's sort of an overhead view of my work surface, uh -huh. and so then the, the person who's running the class will kind of alternate between camera shots depending on what I'm doing, and it works like a charm, and it's very fun mm -hmm. to have, they're very interested in community building as a museum, and so that's a nice piece of it too. It's not where I'm just showing up and it's, there's no contact with the people participating. We always introduce ourselves and they chime in with questions and I like the interactive nature of that. It's really fun. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've most enjoyed about Nordic organizations and plugging into the community and their interest. I mean, obviously I have a vested interest in it, but also supporting other organizations. Right. Um, I know uh, Rachel, uh, I forgot her, her husband's name, who is the head of Vegan Bakery, mm -hmm. um, uh, cooks things, or princess copies or something for the Swedish club to sell. Oh, perfect. Some, some yeah. of the time. And um, tries to, you know, have a little business community of Scandinavian specialties. Her and there's a place called Hansen's Bakery that's nearby. and. Uh, which is Danish, I think. Okay. Um, but I think that's great. So what, is it, what do you like about teaching? What is it that turns you off? You know, I just, I really enjoy teaching. I, I like it more than I thought I would. I just, I love to, I mean, it sounds silly, but I do, I just like to share, you know, the knowledge that I have with other people. And they're always so grateful. And it's so fun to see people sort of succeed in a project that they think is going to be really intimidating. The rug rod is a great example that when, always scares people they're always like i don't know if i can make this and i it's about the easiest thing in the world once you understand it and read the recipe and you know you they it always works and it's you know people are so thrilled with the result and then they can make their s'more bread on their real you know danish rye bread and they're so happy about it and i just you know i love to kind of give people that you know it's just empowering yeah. to give people that you know knowledge and confidence to like go ahead and do these things in their own kitchen yeah that's what i've always did especially that one-on-one -on -one aha moment yeah i get it i did it you know it's so great and this last time i taught we did crisp bread so just the gnocchi bread and um i'd make mine with the traditional hole in the center because they used to store them on a pole and it was so cute because I actually had a family with a couple little kids who did the rolling and then they're, you know, chiming in and showing me their crisp bread and they're so proud and it just is so like heartwarming to see these families cooking together and showing up and just ready to work. And that's another thing with the Vesterheim, a lot of classes that are cooking classes are designed to just be watched and then you'll bake later. I mean, they really encourage people to, to cook along with you. So that's fun. That is fun. Yeah. That is fun. You do like the galloping gourmet and you open a 
the, the oven and there's, you know, it's already been cooked. Right. So you just, I put this in and I'm taking oh, it out. Magical. <laughs> I do a little bit of that sometimes if we have to, I have to do some swap outs for like certain recipes. But yeah, most of the time I try to keep it live when I can, yes. Um, historically, I, I read somewhere, someone was teaching Nordic baking and they were very serious about it and they said, actually a lot of these, these, these things that we bake are based on religious traditions, mm -hmm. and, and especially Catholic religious tradition, because that's you know, where the history was in the old days. Do you, do you, I mean, you're kind of really divorced from that, I would imagine. I am. I mean, I always try to research things and kind of know their background. Right. Um, but I don't feel any particular pull to sort of make things in a traditional way. Just like you said, kind of that serious attitude of like, no, this is how it's done and this is why. Like, I'll take that as sort of interesting information and that's great. But no, I personally don't, don't really connect to it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who went to Vienna and joined the uh, Viennese orchestra and they were playing, um, Strauss waltzes, and there was no question. This is how you play a Strauss waltz and right. at this meter and this rate, and and there was just no two ways about it. Right, it was very formalized. Right, and um, yeah, I don't know. That's just it, it turns people off. I think it again, it, it it goes back to the accessibility thing and. I always say, I mean, and I can even remember growing up, people getting really weird about things like, oh, those aren't thin enough, that particular cookie, you didn't make that right. And I really try to give people a lot of leeway and, you know, hey, whatever whatever works for you, whatever you like, then it's, it's great. Like, you don't have to be intimidated by these things and yeah, make it yours. Tonight, here at the Swedish Club, you're gonna, are you gonna talk about Christmas baking? I am, I'm gonna talk a lot about sort of just some basic general baking tips for making, you know, everyone a better baker, kind of going through the, you know, almost like the process that I go through when I am working with a recipe for the first time, where I'm willing to make substitutions, where I'm not, and why, and just kind of talking through some of those basics. And then we're gonna talk through four different cookies from my website that are really popular, and why those recipes work, what makes them special, and kind of some little tips for, for making sure that they're successful. Are ginger snaps one of them? You bet they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I, one of my most popular recipes. I saw that recipe today. I thought, I don't have time to make it before I see you, but I wish <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, they are really fantastic, and they are my great-grandmother's recipe. They're from Sweden, and they're very special. They're just kind of a special recipe to our family. So it's so exciting for me to have that be such a popular one because it just has so much history. I know my great-grandmother would be just proud. Well, maybe we can conclude with one or two things you would like people to know about Nordic cooking or cooking in general. <laughs> that it's not all just white and boring. I think that's the assumption about Nordic food, right? <laughs> it's just, it's all white and yeah, there's nothing interesting going on. All and flour if, and cod on a white plate. Exactly. And if you feel <laughs> that way, I would invite you to go and try my, um, the Danish remoulade. It's a traditional Danish sauce that's mm -hmm. made with curry powder. And it always just kind of knocks people's socks off because it's got so much flavor. What else would I say about Nordic food? I just, 
just love that it's so like tied to place really i mean it's kind of like using these ingredients that are you know found in the nordic countries and i mean this is a harsh climate this is a short growing season and kind of having that limited sort of you know list of ingredients to work with can really lead to a lot of creativity sort of that idea that the limited um, palette leads to a lot of creativity after our interview, I sat through Christie's presentation on basic things to remember in order to bake great Christmas cookies. And when I get my own podcast website up and running, I'll post a recording of her talk. In the meantime, here are some takeaways from that talk. Salt. Don't skip the salt in a recipe. Maybe add only a half a teaspoon or so because it makes a huge difference in taste and, and may temper a cookie that otherwise is too sweet. She reminds us, though, that if the recipe already includes salted butter, you don't need to add more salt. And I can vouch for the result of oversalting, like adding a tablespoon instead of a half teaspoon. So just a little is good and it's essential. Second, it's worth buying pastry flour if you really want tender and soft cookies. Regular flour or all-purpose flour has a higher protein content, which makes baked goods more chewy and less tender. Third, when mixing cake and cookie batter, use a light hand. Just a few strokes doesn't have to be fully mixed and poured into the pan. Heavy mixing creates networks of gluten, making the result less tender. Heavy mixing is a good idea maybe for bread, but not for cookies and cakes. Fourth, you may be tempted to try many recipes only once and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing. But Christy recommends working on a few favorite recipes several times, developing a limited repertoire of tried and true recipes that you're super comfortable with, and you'll be a better baker for it just because of the repetition. Christy also gave us tips about making krumkaka. You can read an article I wrote about my own struggle to make these cookies with my kids at Norwegian American, all a lowercase and altogether, dot com. It's called That's the Way the Krumkaka Crumbles. But then search for Christy's article. On NorwegianAmerican.com, her article called her article called Cookie Extravaganza Brown Butter Krumkaker. From that, you'll get her secrets of how to make krumkaker crunchy and especially good. You can also read interviews with Christy on the Norwegian American newspapers website and also that of the Vesterheim Museum. But mostly, I encourage you to read Christy's blog. The address of it, or URL, is in all lowercase letters, truenorthkitchen.com, where, there are some hyphens here, T-R-U-E hyphen, N-O-R-T-H, north, hyphen, kitchen, K-I-T-C-H-E-N, dot com. And that brings us to the conclusion of this program. Our introductory music, a traditional tune called The New March, was played by Ruthie Dornfeld and Alfred Morton Heurup. They both have websites you can visit. 
Our exit music was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson at daryljacksonmusic.com. Drop us a line at nordicontap at gmail.com with show suggestions or wild accolades would be fine. You can listen to us on all the major podcast sources like Spotify or, or Google. Our home, though, is nordicontap, all one word, dot podbean.com. This is Eric Stabney at Nordic on Tap saying, Till next gong. Till next time, Viseus. We'll be seeing you. Yeah, when I select something online, search a whole bunch of different recipes for the thing I want to make, I print them all out. Mm-hmm. And I bring that to the kitchen. Because yes. darn if I'm going to spill eggs on my cell phone, and then I have to scroll <laughs> down, and I've got stuff all over my hands. And Whenever you know. I don't print it out, I'm always sorry. Because I'm, I'm constantly, like you said, I'm, I'm going back. I'm, oh, look, my phone's, you know, I have to, like, re-get myself into the phone. And so, yeah, I'm agree- I totally agree with you. I like to do, do you t- I take notes on it, too. Oh, yeah. And I try this, and I'm like, oh, that didn't work. Better write that down. Exactly, yeah. Now, that's the way to do it.